Welcome to episode 96 of the Farm Exec podcast. I'm Elaine Quilogy, senior editor of Farm Exec magazine, here along with my co-host, assistant editor Miranda Schnalfis. Farm Exec magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. On this week's episode, Miranda and I have the pleasure of speaking with Tim Whitten, CEO and president of Taiho Oncology. Tim talks about his company's focus on oral-based oncology therapies and how an emphasis on innovation such as this has fueled his career. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll be right back with Tim. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At True Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at truesterumntwk.com. Hello, podcasters. Today, Miranda and I will be interviewing Tim Whitten, CEO and president of Taiho Oncology. Tim is here to discuss how innovative thinking from developing new therapies to creating a podcast for employees during COVID has played an important role in his professional journey. Thanks for joining us today, Tim. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you, Miranda. It's a pleasure to be with you and to be with your listeners. So your company's focused on developing oral therapies for cancer. First, I have to ask, why has it taken this long for pharma to see the value in this? Taiho's pipeline is almost entirely oral. And that goes way back to our parent, Taiho Pharmaceutical Company, whose headquarters are in Japan. They had the insight to focus on oral cancer therapies way back in the 1960s. And by the way, oral delivery of anti-cancer meds has been preferred over IV-delivered anti-cancer meds in Japan for many decades. But in the U.S., historically, there have been several reasons why IV administration was often the preferred route. For example, there are compliance considerations for some patients. Second, if a patient needs a dose adjustment to their IV infusion, it's pretty straightforward to make that adjustment. And another reason is that there are technical hurdles to administering some drugs orally. For example, some medicines are destroyed or they're metabolized in the GI tract. So they can't be absorbed through the lining of the gut and the drug has to be given by an IV infusion in order for them to work. But today in the US, I believe treatment considerations have evolved and it's a different story in many instances when it comes to using oral anti-cancer meds. For example, many patients are living longer with their cancer and oral treatments may be better suited to a more chronic treatment paradigm. Reimbursement's getting better those reimbursement for oral cancer meds has improved, and that improved more than a decade ago with the passage of the Medicare Part D program. And remember that technical hurdle I mentioned just a minute or so ago, one of the innovative aspects of Taiho's two marketed products in the U.S. is overcoming that GI absorption and degradation hurdle. For both of those products, an active compound that is degraded too quickly when it's administered orally it's combined with a second ingredient into one tablet. And that second ingredient prevents the degradation of the first. And so that allows for oral administration where it wasn't technically possible before. But beyond those reasons, I think in general, orals may be more convenient for some patients than IV infusions. 
For patients with jobs, for example, they don't need to take a day off to get their infusion. They avoid that additional cost and the time required to travel, and they save the infusion time too. And I think all this put together may make for a better treatment experience for them and their caregivers. And finally, more recently, the pandemic, I think, revealed another potential advantage of oral anti-cancer meds, and that is patients can avoid virus exposure both where they receive their transfusion, such as the infusion center, and also during transport. And that's especially true if they're using public transportation like subways, trains, et cetera. And this can be really important to patients who have compromised immune systems. And so, you know, I could go on, I think, but by now, I guess you can tell my enthusiasm for the potential benefits of using oral medicines to treat some cancer types. Absolutely. So what have been some of the challenges to entering an oncology market that's so steeped in traditional methods? Sure. There are certainly challenges, but I think for the most part, the oncology community embraces newer, effective, and safer alternative technologies pretty quickly. And in fact, they do so, I think, more quickly than many other therapeutic areas. I mean, you can look at the use, for example, of immunotherapy. Seven or eight years ago, it wasn't available, and today it's used routinely in a variety of tumor types. But your question was really about challenges. And in terms of challenges, oncology is a really highly competitive space. And according to the Acuvia Institute, in December 2020, there were 740 companies that had a late stage oncology compound. That's right, 740 companies that had a late stage oncology compound. And also over about the last five years, there have been over 64 new active oncology substances that have been launched globally in the last five years. I remember earlier in my career that sometimes there would be almost none or just one or two anti-cancer agents approved in a year. But all those companies are focused in oncology and all those treatments are being approved because there's also opportunity. And that opportunity is really related to the high unmet medical need. And of course, it might be obvious, but opportunities and challenges sometimes go hand in hand. And for example, today, anti-cancer compounds are being developed for smaller and smaller cancer types, smaller and smaller patient populations. That's based on the cancer patient's specific individualized genetic mutations. So what this means is that clinical trial accrual can be more difficult as you need many more patients to be screened in order to find patients who qualify for the trial. But it also means that the patients who enter the trial may be more likely to benefit because their specific tumor drivers will likely match the mechanism of action of the treatment being studied. And another challenge that I'll mention is that the amount of resources required to innovate continues to go up and up. And at the same time, more and more anti-cancer compounds are being studied and approved, as I mentioned, for more rare cancers. And this, I think, really challenges our industry for how to make a profit with a smaller number of patients over which to price our medicines. And if we're not profitable, then an obvious problem is how to continue to put financial and employee resources into research and development activities in order to develop the next breakthrough. What lessons was Taiho able to take away from the COVID-19 pandemic? First, I have to say how proud I've been of our Taiho employees throughout the pandemic. Taiho 
really has a great team of talented, dedicated professionals, and some of them literally work day and night to improve the lives of patients with cancer. And during this pandemic, we've been able to advance our pipeline. We even launched a new product during the pandemic, and we continue to reach more patients with our first marketer product. So I think these and other accomplishments have taught us, or at least I believe they've reminded us of the power and importance of staying customer and patient focused, adapting to our customers' needs, I think in innovative ways, and the power of resiliency, and honestly, I think just hard work. You know, and adapting to our customers' needs was really important during the pandemic. For example, at the beginning of the pandemic, our field employees quickly became capable of interacting with healthcare providers, oncologists, their nurses, their oncology offices, in the way that our customers wanted and needed to be communicated with. When we accomplished this by providing our field representatives with the tools and with the training that they needed to go from a face-to-face -face communication model to a virtual communication model. For example, we gave them better cameras. We gave them separate microphones, which meant that they could communicate more clearly than just what the little microphone was that you have on your computer. We gave them lighting equipment and we trained them on giving virtual presentations and interacting in that virtual environment that we were all in. And we received many compliments from our customers for being the first company to adapt and innovate in a way that served those needs. In order to bring employees together and enhance company culture during COVID, you started your own podcast. Could you describe what went into that? Well, first, I think it's a different experience being the person interviewed versus the host asking the questions. And I think I prefer to be the host. But anyway, the pandemic is pretty common knowledge. It certainly affected us all in a variety of ways, right? And during this time, people turned to their leaders for information, for direction. And I think in many cases, they were turning to us for reassurance. And leaders need to communicate, communicate, communicate. And of course, the pandemic took away one of the most effective ways to communicate, which was face-to-face. -face. So we were having virtual calls, virtual department meetings, virtual town halls, and I was writing company-wide emails in an attempt to communicate with our employees. But Taiho, during the pandemic, was growing and it is growing, and we were hiring a lot of people based on solely virtual interviews and virtual interactions. And as we were hiring all these new people, I was intuitively concerned that despite our best efforts, the new employees wouldn't feel as connected to our mission. They wouldn't be as close to their fellow employees and they wouldn't understand or learn the Taiho culture. And I was also concerned that our longer term employees would not have the same connection to these newly hired employees because they had never really met face-to-face. -face. So I started the employee podcast that you mentioned as a way to have more shared connections. So the way it works, I interview an employee for each podcast. They highlight their work history, talk about why they joined the company. They talk about their role with the company. And then in the second part of the podcast, we focus more on their individual stories. So it's really the interviewee's podcast. It's not mine. I just give them a forum to tell their stories and they can tell me as little or as much as they want. For example, our new employees, they might learn who was that person that just onboarded me or our longer term employees, they might learn, oh, so that is the new person that now leads quality assurance or leads medical affairs. 
So I've received a lot of really good feedback from our employees that they look forward to the podcast. And I think that they've served their original purpose, which is to help build shared connections amongst our employees. From new oncology therapies to a new podcast, it seems innovation has played an important role in your career. Could you give some other examples of how you've turned to innovation throughout your years in pharma? Miranda, I've been fortunate in my career to have had a role in bringing innovative compounds to the market. I've been involved in different capacities in bringing probably at least 10 or so new chemical entities to the market over my career. Those are just not in oncology, but also HIV and infectives, neuroscience. And there are some iconic names in there like Taxol, Videx, or DDI, Abrutinib, and of course, more recently, the compounds developed and commercialized at Taiho. So the pursuit of bringing new innovative therapies to patients has certainly been a focal point of my career. But I've also seen my share of compounds fail in development. I mean, that's part of being in our industry. It's part of being in the pharmaceutical biotech business. We don't always get the outcomes we want, but we learn, we advance, and hopefully we continue on the journey. And I believe that having the resilience to deal with failure and disappointment is essential to innovation, and it's essential to working or leading in this industry. So how have your earlier experiences in life shaped your leadership style? Well, as I've said... I've had successes, but I've also faced setbacks and failures. It's just inevitable. And growing up in a blue collar home in a small town in coal mining country in West Virginia, I observed my parents who suffered numerous personal tragedies, numerous losses and setbacks in their lives. And literally once in their life had seven cents to their name. And they taught me a great deal about resilience, about dealing with setbacks and moving forward. And from watching them and reflecting on how they made it through those difficult and I think really sometimes dark times, I've come to strongly believe that resilience and a purpose-based life, which includes a purpose-based career, allows us to deal with both success and allows us to deal with failure with a more even emotional tone. Focusing on something bigger than yourself, I think, leads on to focus on why we do something, just not the what we do. I think it guides us, helps us focus on our journey and not just the end result. And by doing this, we get more enjoyment out of the journey. And I believe we're more effective when we work with purpose than without it. Finally, I'd like to ask your input on what you see as upcoming trends in oncology in the near and long term. So Elaine, I think there are a lot of really positive trends and they're happening and they're just accelerating. I see potentially improvements in diagnosis and drug development. And ultimately, I think improvements in treatment and better selection of treatment, which is going to continue to be more specific and more individualized to the genomic abnormalities of the tumor. And underlying this will be artificial intelligence, and it'll accelerate these trends. I think, for example, in terms of diagnosis, we're moving from requiring solid tumor samples to less invasive but still accurate blood tests. I think this will hopefully allow for earlier diagnosis. I mean, I can see a time in the not too distant future when as part of our routine blood work, you know, alongside, for example, our cholesterol screening, our glucose tests, that patients also have routine tumor or even precancerous abnormality tests. And these new advances are going to lead to more accurate, earlier, and more precise diagnosis of the drivers of the cancer. 
And this is going to include artificial intelligence enabled prescriptions, which I think will show the best combination of drugs to treat that genetic aberration, which is driving the tumor's growth. What this means is that patients are more likely to respond to their treatment. They're going to have fewer and more manageable side effects and ultimately, I think, have a better outcome. So targeted, personalized treatment of their patients and their tumor is going to be even more common. It's going to be even more precise and more tailored than it is already today. The end result is that more patients, I believe, with cancer will be cured or at least have their cancer managed well as a chronic disease. And TIHO plans to be part of that solution with our focus on selectively targeted oral therapies that attack more directly those specific genetic mutations that drive a particular cancer's growth. Tim, thanks so much for being with us today. It's been really interesting hearing about how thinking outside of the box can create new successful opportunities. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you, Miranda. I really do appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and to talk with your listeners. Hope you guys have a great day. You too. Thanks so much. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At True Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at TrueSerumNTWK.com. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from pharma execs. I'm Tim Whitten, CEO and president of Taiho Oncology. My leadership tip is to develop a purpose-based life that also includes a purpose-based career. Don't just do things to do them, do them for a reason. Focus on the why and not the what. Focus on the journey and not just the end game. And I believe if you do this, you'll live life on a more even emotional keel and likely enjoy more personal and more professional success. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutives, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of Farmexec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mjhlifesciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mjhlifesciences.com.